guys, let's try this again. On today's episode of the John Campy Show podcast, listen, from looking at the comments, I think we need to go over this Halle Bailey thing again, because I think you missed the main point of what we're trying to make before. Also, Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie, the power couple behind the number one film of the year, Barbie, they're getting together again, this time for an Ocean's Eleven prequel. The Taylor Swift concert movie is at hand, and it looks like it's poised to break a standing Joker box office record. Zac Efron's new wrestling film, Iron Claw dropped its first trailer today, and Marvel has scrapped all the work they've done on the Daredevil series, and they're going back to the drawing board. That and a whole bunch more. The John Campbell Show podcast starts right now. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn movie related show on the planet, Earth, the John Campbell Show podcast, coming from right here. In our quaint little studio brought to you in part by our great friends at Mint Mobile. I am, of course, your host, John Campion, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies and movie news, TV and streaming, and all sorts of good stuff, not just giving you our opinions, but also giving you audio and a little bit of context and background <laughs> so you guys can form your own well-informed opinions, whether they're the same or completely different from ours. I'm joined in studios today by Ray Ora. Hey, what's up? Jonathan Voikos here. In beautiful sound. <laughs> Writer, director, producer, Robert Meyer Burnett is here. In 4K. <laughs> and most Maybe. importantly, you guys are here. Thanks so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Here's how the show's going to go. We're going to start off by talking about all those topics that I just listed off. And then the last part of the show, we're going to take questions. We're going to take questions from our YouTube channel members who send in topics for us to take every day. But also for those of you just watching live, you can use our super chat feature in the live chat to send in a topic or question. And if your topic or question is, you know, appropriate for us to address on the show, we'll address it at the end of the show. All right, guys, with all that down, let's talk about this. I cannot believe how much confusion there is out there over the Halle Bailey situation. Now, you guys will remember the a couple of days ago, we addressed this, but apparently a lot of people didn't get the memo. Okay, so <laughs> here's the basic background of it, right? A story started to go around. And it, it's not exactly the Mandela effect, but it's kind of like a Mandela effect has taken place. Okay, start, story started going around that Disney had pulled... Halle Bailey from Oscar consideration for one of the original songs that she sings in the Little Mermaid movie. And the reason they pulled her is because, gosh darn it, that little girl went and got herself pregnant. <laughs> that's, and that's the story, right? That, and, and listen, everybody... Just seem to accept that as fact. It started going around. Now, we did a video about this on Monday where we pointed out why this is not true. We made this whole video about it. <laughs> and yet, I think the video has something like 70,000 views or whatever. So many of the comments, many of which we had to delete, but like hundreds of comments came in of how dare Disney pull Halle How dare Disney take away Halle Bailey's Oscar nomination and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, wait, 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 what? We <laughs> talked about this. It's a, the, this video you are commenting on right now. Did you not get it? And, and then another hundred comments, a lot of which I had to delete. It's like, well, she shouldn't be nominated for any Academy Award. She is supposed to be a role model for little girls everywhere. And she got herself pregnant. Okay. We, okay. Look. We need to talk about this, all right? 
So as in my best impersonation of Miles Morales in Across the Spider-Verse, all right, let's do this one more time. Here we go. Let's look at some Halle Bailey facts, shall we? Facts. Facts. Fact number one. Disney did not remove her from Oscar consideration over possible pregnancy. That is totally false. It's totally made up bullshit that somebody somewhere in their mother's basement made up. And then all of a sudden, it's just become fact. Everybody has just accepted that as fact. It is not true. All right. It is not true. Nobody, no real outlet has reported that. It was a totally made up thing. It's not remotely true. So please, and listen, you know me, I'm in a phase of my life that I'm fuck Disney. That's kind of me right now. But in this particular case, (laughs) Disney didn't do anything. (laughs) There's nothing to see here, folks. Nothing to see here. And, And besides, as Rob pointed out the last time we talked about this, even if she was pregnant... It doesn't matter if the Oscars have had other people get up and sing songs that aren't the people who sang the songs in the movie before. It's no big deal. It's, this is not true, okay? So please, get that straight. It's not true. Fact number two. Halle Bailey was never eligible for an Oscar for best song. This is the other big thing. Like, they go, oh, Disney took away her chance to win an Oscar for best song. She was not eligible because in the Oscars, the people who sing the songs are not the people who get nominated. Let me say that again. The people who sing the songs in movies are not the people who get nominated for best song at the Oscars. The people who get nominated are the people who wrote the songs. And she did not write the songs in Little Mermaid. Unless you're Randy Newman. Who, well, then you then do you write the song, your or you're Eminem, <laughs> yeah. that you did write the song, or you're Lady Gaga, you did write the song Prince. and perform the song, right? Yeah. But that is not the case here. So you see, folks, Disney could not take away Halle Bailey's potential Oscar nomination because she was never eligible for it in the first place. <laughs> the Halle Bailey fact number three. There are people out there, let me preface this third one, who are saying, well, yeah, see, Disney, by the way, another complete made-up piece of bullshit. Yeah, Disney did it because Disney is a, a, a Disney is a, a family brand. Yeah, and they they don't think it's appropriate that uh, maybe a girl who got pregnant. By the way, a 23-year-old woman. Ooh, my stars and garters. It's the pearl clutching. Uh, the pearl, it's completely the pearl clutching. A 23-year-old woman got pregnant. But they're saying, I got you Disney because it's a family brand. They don't want somebody who, uh, who, who, who maybe got pregnant. Okay, that moves us on to fact number three here. Disney is the same company that hired Eddie Murphy to do the voice of a little talking dragon in a children's animated film. You think Disney cares? Unless any of you don't actually know the comedic Ooh. history of Eddie Murphy. You think the same company that hired Eddie Murphy? I, I was about to quote some raw, but I probably better not. <laughs> don't do yeah. that. I'm not going to do that. Do you think the same company who hired Eddie Murphy to be a voice in a good kid's cartoon cares if a 23-year-old adult woman gets pregnant? Come on. I, come on. And, and, then, and then, so, then there's this other group of commenters that went out there. And I debated whether I should talk about this, but it's got to be said. 
about, well, you know, it's just not appropriate to have this, this person who got ooh, pregnant out of wedlock. Oh my, that is not an appropriate person to be representing anything at the Oscars. She doesn't deserve because she got pregnant out of wedlock. And look, look, just, just hear me out here. To all you lovely people who would say something so stupid. I, I just find it funny, Robert. I find it funny. <laughs> first of all, that you wrote that. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, 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 oh. I'm already in enough trouble. No, I, I find it funny that a lot of these people who would write that and say it's just not appropriate that a woman who gets pregnant out of wedlock should, who's supposed to be a, you know, a role model should get nominated for an Oscar. I, I, I just find it a tad bit funny and a tad bit hypocritical that a lot of the same people are the ones who would go out and vote for a dude who'd been married three times, hooked up with his third wife while cheating on his second wife and paid off a porn star to hush up an affair that they had. And listen, I got no problem with any of that. Just because a guy's not good at marriage doesn't mean he may not be good at his job. And hey, he wants to go out and have affairs with porn stars? NFL quarterback Jimmy G has done the same thing. God bless you. If that's what you want to do, I got no problem with it. I just think it's really hypocritical of people who would say, that's cool, but oh my goodness, this young woman getting pregnant. How She can't be represented at the Oscars. It's... So guys, can can we can you help me out here? When you see anybody online getting upset, number one, that Disney had the audacity to take away Halle Berry's Oscar nomination, please let them know they didn't, and she was never eligible for an Oscar and Best Song category anyway, and everything else is just made up. Uh, can you let them know that? Because our comment section has been filled with indignant, angry people that Disney would do such a thing, and... Again, I'm in a phase of my life that I get real pissed at Disney for a lot of stuff these days, but this is not something that they did. Anyway, Rob, I mean, we talked about it the other day, but uh, you've seen you've seen the response. You're like, didn't we already talk about this? I don't know. You got anything to add to all this? Well, I mean, do we even have proof she's pregnant? Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, that that's the other. That's the other that's thing. The other we don't wild even card. Yeah. <laughs> There's not a hundred percent confirmation that she's even pregnant at all. Uh, Prager's watch, 2023. Prager watch. <laughs> I, first of all, it, it we live in just an odd world, John. Um, and and I would think if if Halle Bailey is in fact pregnant, my first thought would be to wish her a great congratulations. Uh, Absolutely. And if she's chosen to bring a new life into this world, good for her. I hope she's a great mom. I hope the, the child has a, a, a great life. And we should be proud that she's chosen to do this, as you pointed out. Um, at 23, she's not a kid. You know, it's not like she's like in high school and you're not going to see an MTV special about her high school, famous high school mom. You know, it's not going to be like that. And so good for her. And that should be the end of it. Why should that affect anything isn't it a joyous thing to do that so moving from that position forward and think that disney would not want to support a so ridiculous uh, literally a new one of the their latest disney princess their new ariel who by the way uh if she's not a mermaid she certainly sings like an angel yeah so my I, god, I, I would say like, i mean how good was she in that movie? my god now 
I finally caught up with The Little Mermaid. And yeah, I didn't think it was a perfect film. No, but, but it, she was terrific. In it. She, I mean, in terms of a star-making performance uh, uh, against a lot of pushback from the audience before they saw the film, she's a star. And when she's on the screen singing, and I understand it's, you know, you, you're singing to tracks. They're not singing live. It's not like Les Mis when they were recording live tracks. Still, her voice is incredible, and she's an incredible singer. So why not just stand behind a new star in the making and wish her well? Yeah, and guess what? Disney loves Oscars. They really do. Yeah. They like every other studio. This is this is such a nothing burger. So guys, again, if you see anybody else dropping comments saying, I'm really just upset that Disney would take this away from her, say, hey, don't worry about it, because they didn't. They didn't. So just make that clear. All right. With that down, guys, let's move on to something else, shall we? And hopefully we don't have to revisit this again next week. All right. <laughs> let's move on to this. You know, Barbie is the number one film of the year. And the power couple in there, good Canadian kid, Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie. And it looks like they're getting together again for another movie, an Ocean's Eleven prequel. Now, I, you know, I think like a lot of us, when we heard that Margot Robbie was going to play Barbie, we were like, of course she's playing Barbie. She is the living embodiment of Barbie. And then... When they said that Ryan Gosling, again, good Canadian kid, was going to be playing Ken, I, I don't think anybody anywhere said, I don't think he's a good fit for that. I, I don't think anybody said that ever. Uh, and he was terrific in this movie. I, actually, in, in many ways, he kind of stole the movie. I thought he was just wonderful as Ken in this movie. And they had great on-screen chemistry in that awkward thing that they did. And they're just terrific movie stars, all this kind of stuff. We knew we would probably see them together again. And now it's coming even sooner than we thought, as this is coming to us from Variety. He wrote the following. Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling's combined star power helped power Barbie to $1.4 billion in worldwide ticket sales, an all-time high gross for distributor Warner Brothers. The studio is clearly hoping to duplicate the success with its upcoming Ocean's Eleven prequel movie, which is set to reunite Robbie and Gosling on the big screen. The film will be the first Ocean's project since the Sandra Bullock and Kate Blanchett-led Ocean's 8 in 2018. All right, I got a couple of thoughts here. By the way, the article goes on to say that they're kind of hoping that the two of them are going to maybe kind of be, I'm, I'm coming up with this analogy myself, but the next Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks, uh, the article goes on to that the studios and, and the directors are saying, we think they should do like 11 movies together. Whether that happens, who knows? Uh, first of all, you know what? The 2018 Ocean's 8, I didn't mind that movie. It's pretty good. It's actually a pretty good little movie. I, I liked it. Uh, it wasn't fantastic. I don't go back and revisit it every year, but it wasn't bad. The idea of an Ocean's prequel. Look, if you guys have watched me for any period of time, you know that prequel is not exactly my favorite word. I, I don't love the idea of prequels. There have certainly been some movies that are prequels that have worked out and that I've enjoyed very much, yes. But just in general, I don't like the idea of prequels. I'd rather see a story move forward. I'd rather see what happens next, what not what happened before. But... If you've got a project that both Margot Robbie and her staff and Ryan Gosling and his representation, and they all looked at this and said, this looks good. Well, sign me up. Now, you could all say, well, Margot Robbie's people said Amsterdam looked good, too. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's that that's true. But. But you know, with Ryan Gosling and her together, I will at least be interested. I love the world of oceans. So we'll, we'll see if that turns out. So Rob, I'm going to say this. 
I'm excited to see Gosling and Margot Robbie together again, more than I am about the idea of an Ocean's prequel. But, you know, we'll see how it goes. What do you think about all this? Well, first of all, John, I loved Soderbergh's Ocean's Eleven. Loved it. I think as a breezy, entertaining caper film. So good. It doesn't get better. And by the way, a remake that's better than the original. A hundred percent. As much as I love the Rat Pack original, the Rat Pack original is not nearly as good as it should be. Right. And this film is, I mean, Soderbergh directed it. He shot it. Uh, the the cast is amazing. It's so much fun to watch. Look at all those guys. They look like babies. I know. <laughs> oh so, my God, they all look so young. It's so much fun to watch and to have John Cheadle playing Basher with his accent. Oh, I love best. Cheadle in that. I mean, I love everything about Ocean's Eleven, Andy Garcia. I love everything about it. So when they say prequel, I, I'm the first thing that, that, that struck me, I'm like, is this movie about Danny Ocean's parents? Ooh. And I'm thinking, if it is, I hope they call the movie a pair of oceans because like, you know, and make it a gambling uh, thing because I'm thinking like, unless he's playing a young Danny ocean, but he's not that much younger, but I would love to know like, cause Danny ocean, you don't know anything about him, you know, other than he's in love with Tess and, and, but like who made him who he is like the forging of Danny ocean, you know, and, and, and his, what if his mother and father are legendary and I Love, I love Ryan Gosling. Yeah, me too. I love him. I love watching him. He's so funny on any talk show that he's on. He has such a great sense of humor. He's Remember so, him at, at CinemaCon this year? Oh my God! He brought the house down. He's so funny, and he—I I mean, he—he's like the kind of guy I wish I always knew my whole life. I wish I had a friend like him. He's great in movies. I loved him in movies like Drive. His comedic timing is amazing. The Nice Guys with Russell Crowe. I was about—I was about to say you think about what if they're Danny's parents. What if, and just follow me here, what if, because of the time of the nice guys, what if it is a nice guy's Ocean's crossover where his character from the nice guys is Danny's father? Huh? Bring Russell Crowe in there too? Dude, then get Shane Black to get write and direct Shane it. Black in there? I am so in, I, I'm so in, in on this idea. And first of all, I think Margot Robbie, I mean, we're so, we've been so inundated by her uh, Harley Quinn and, and all that. But if you go back and watch I, Tonya, you watch Wolf of Wall Street. She's a fantastic actress. Yeah, she really is. And and to see the two, I can't imagine after seeing how their chemistry was in Barbie, if this brings, if that, that ocean's magic, these two, this pairing, like you were saying, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan in a caper film, and they might be opposing forces in the movie, I don't know. But if they're working together... I mean, or maybe it's how they come together and create Danny Ocean. I don't know. I'm so in on this. I mean, in terms of, I don't like prequels either, but dude, I'm excited. Like this, bring it on. I mean, studio caper film. Yes. It, Sign me up. It's, it's a home run, but neither of them better get pregnant or it's over. <laughs> at Warner least, Brothers, regretfully at least not during the runtime of the movie. Regretfully announced they've had to pull the plug because it's just not good role modeling. Somehow Ryan's pregnant. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan Gosling is pregnant. Well, that's that's got to end the movie production for a whole other reason. All right. With that down, guys, let's talk about what you're all really here to talk about. Woo. Taylor Swift. Yeah. Am I right? Her new concert film is opening up and we knew it was going to be big. One of the biggest openings of the year. I even speculated about a month ago, maybe more like three weeks ago, that maybe it could be the biggest opening of the year. Doesn't look like it's going to be, but it's going to be one of the biggest openings of the year. As a matter of fact, 
it may actually break the standing box office record that is currently being held by Joker. Now, this comes to us from IndieWire, who writes the following. Per industry sources, the domestic expectation for opening weekend is around $100 million and perhaps as high as $125 million. That would make it, I think, the second biggest opening weekend of the year, or second, third, third biggest opening weekend of the year if it does that, or maybe it gets bigger. It could break the record for the biggest October opening of all time with the current record being held by Joker at $96 million. Unlike most films, Eras won't play Monday through Wednesday anywhere, nor, this is key, Thursday previews or Friday shows before six. Let's, let me talk about that part there for just a second first. This is where it's like, well, obviously it's not going to set the uh, 2023 opening weekend box office record. No Thursday night and no screenings on Friday before 6 p.m. I mean, that's, that's a potential 30 to $40 million right there. Gone. So, and look, clearly that's... Taylor Swift is not worried about opening weekend box office records. She's worried about the end run total of the, of the movie. I, I get that. Totally respect that. But once I saw that, I realized, oh yeah, it has no chance of beating Barbie for number one opening weekend of the, of the year. And that's fine. It's still going to make a lot of money. But the fact that it can actually beat Joker at $96 million. And by the way, in its opening weekend, it's going to break the all-time record for the biggest concert film of all time. Not, not biggest concert film all-time opening weekend, I mean, in total, it's a Justin Bieber. I think Never Say Never is right now the current record holder for a solo artist's concert movie. Something like that. And I think yeah. it's at like 70-something million dollars, 80-something million dollars. Taylor Swift's Eras Tour is going to break that in its opening weekend. So that's a good one. But I mean, breaking Joker's all-time opening October record is pretty more significant. Rob, do you see this movie accomplishing that? And uh, have you started following... Um, uh, Travis Kelsey on social media to keep up with uh, what's going on with Taylor Swift. First of all, I'm so impressed by this move because, you know, they shot this at SoFi Stadium. And I really want to know about the making of this movie just from a production standpoint because SoFi Stadium, state of the art, they knew they could shoot. They probably, the thing about John, they shot this, you know, as it happened, they probably had a director doing switching on the cameras because it's already all set up. Yep. They record it in 4K, whatever they do. They record every show. Swift decides what performance of each song is best. They cut it together. Literally, the production time is a couple of weeks. It's already mixed. They go and they put it out. The, the, whole, the whole conception behind making this movie is genius. So I, I give it up. But that's just from a production producing standpoint, I, 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 my hat's off. But this film, man, Taylor Swift... It's a very Swiftish thing she's done. Here's, she here's another really, you know, Jonathan and I were talking about this before the shows today. Here's another thing that makes this really more impressive too. All those movie tickets being sold for this thing, none of them are on AMC A-list. None of them are Regal Unlimited because you can't use AMC A-list or Regal Unlimited or your movie memberships to get free tickets to this. Every ticket is actually somebody buying the tickets. And, and that's that just makes the results it's getting even more impressive. That's probably the deal they made too. Yeah, oh, sure. with, with AMC, 100%. it's so it's so genius on so many levels. And and you know, I remember, I remember uh, uh, William Shatner's manager told me something once. He said, "When you have King Kong, and you know you have King Kong, you pay 
you make people pay to see King Kong. <laughs> I've got King Kong, you know, because in the movie they bring it. I mean, obviously that went a little awry, but the metaphor was there. Taylor Swift is our King Kong right now. Right now. She yeah. is a behemoth. She, she, she has multi-generations of women that she has admired and inspired. They admire her and she's inspired them. And I mean, this is the most genius thing ever. And I hope this movie makes a billion dollars. I don't think it will, but it's going to make a lot of money. I'm telling you, dude, this thing could play. You're going to have moms and daughters. It's like a record album. When you have a favorite yeah. record album, you play it over and over again. I wouldn't be surprised if this movie has the least drop-off of any movie of the last five years. Well, I mean, the fact that it's not going to play Monday through Wednesday is probably going to help that too, because the only time you can see it is on the weekends, apparently. So, Well, is that just for opening week? No, I, I, th I think that's the thing. It's only playing weekends, I believe, uh, if I understand the reports Still, right. Still, so, because people are going to go every weekend. What, what do you want to do this weekend? I don't know. Oh, let's go see Eras again. Go see okay. Tay Tay. All right, guys. With that down, we need to talk about this new re true wrestling movie, Iron Claw, starring Zac Efron and Jeremy White from The Bear. We also need to talk about the fact that Marvel is scrapping all the stuff they've done on Daredevil. That and a few things more. But before we do, we got to take a second here, guys, and thank a couple of sponsors of today's episode of the John Campbell Show podcast. The makers of the most comfortable shoes I've ever owned, Vessi, and the people doing great work over at BetterHelp. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video Vessi. Now, you guys know I'm not exactly the most fashion-conscious guy in the world, but I love a great pair of shoes that are comfortable and I can wear almost anywhere. And growing up in Canadian winters when my feet got wet a lot, waterproof would be nice too. Enter Vessi. They make the claim that they're not just fashionable and super comfortable, they're also waterproof. Now, you guys remember, when I got my first pair of Vessis, I put them to the ultimate waterproof test. I actually stuck my foot in my pool, my feet stayed dry, and the shoes stayed dry. Incredible. And they're the most comfortable pair of shoes I ever owned. Well, that made me want another pair. So I got another pair of Vessis that look great and just equal that world-class comfort that I got from that first pair shoes. They are absolutely my favorite shoes that I've ever owned. Imagine your favorite sneaker style supercharged with waterproof technology and unmatched comfort. No matter how you like to stay active, Vessi has the shoes for you. Trail-ready high tops, effortless slip-ons, and classic court shoes, all with a waterproof twist. They are just as comfortable and stylish as your favorite sneakers, but even more versatile. So guys, if you're anything like me and you want the most comfortable pair of shoes that look great, that you can take out hiking, wear to work, go to the gym, or walk through the water and snow, go to Vessi.com slash Campia and get yourself a pair today. Go to Vessi.com slash Campia and get 15% off your order using the code Campia. Hey guys, we want to thank a sponsor of today's video, Better help. You guys know that I've been saying for a long time that it's time for us to start prioritizing mental health in our lives. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I've pointed this out many times, but we as adults know that we need to prioritize our physical health and 
so we encourage each other and cheer each other on when we take steps for improving our physical health, like going to the gym. Well, it's time that we prioritize our mental health the same way. We need to encourage each other to take those steps and encourage ourselves to do that as well. So guys, take that step in prioritizing your mental health by going to BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash campia today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash campia. And thank you to our <laughs> friends at Vessi and BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show podcast. All right, guys, with that down, let's get into this, shall we? The first trailer for the new Iron, the Iron Claw movie starring Zac Efron and the Bears, Jeremy White, has just dropped online, and it's pretty great. Now, look, I, I grew up watching wrestling. Unfortunately, the Von Erich family was a little before my time of watching wrestling, but you, even though I didn't see, get to see them, you always hear, if you watched wrestling, you always heard wrestlers talking about the Von Erich family. And I would watch some videos, friends would have VHS tapes that would show like the Von Erichs and all that kind of stuff. And of course it became a really big cautionary tale about the cursed family, the cursed family of wrestling. Uh, being the Von Erichs. And so when they announced that Zac Efron, Jeremy White were doing this, and by the way, Lily James, um, were doing this movie, I, get, I got really, really interested in it. And I wondered, are they going to be able to really capture that independent wrestling circuit feel and all that kind of stuff? Are they going to be able to capture the family drama? Or is it going to be more handled lightheartedly, a family of wrestlers, whatever? Well, the trailer dropped. And no, it, it did exactly everything I hoped it would do. It completely captured that spirit of the indie wrestling circuit. You know, you've got, I believe the dad is the guy from Mindhunter, is it not? I oh. thought, I, I, I could be mistaken about that, but I thought the dad I was- to look uh, again now. Yeah, I thought that was him from Mindhunter. Anyway, and I'm just watching this and I'm completely drawn in by it. I thought it looks incredible. Zach Efron looks amazing in it. Jeremy White, like you can tell watching the bear that he's a big guy, but oh my God, he packed on, he packed on even more muscle for this. I mean, you could always tell he was a big guy, but damn, he got, uh, he got pretty damn big for this and it just looks fantastic. And you know what? I realize it's time for me to just admit it. He is from Mindhunter, by the way. It is the guy from yeah. Mindhunter. Okay, perfect. So I, it's just about time for me to admit this to myself and to my audience, which is this. I've always said, in my life, I have had three true celebrity crushes. It started when I was a little kid with Courtney Cox. It then, as a young teenager, after seeing The Mask, it became Cameron Diaz. And then later on, and the woman who's been my celebrity crush for like 20 years, uh, is uh, Mrs. Ben Affleck. That, that's it. I thought you were about to say Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> Mrs. Mrs. Doubtfire. Nah, man. You may not win points with her calling her Mrs. Ben Affleck. Though. Jen, Jen. <laughs> Jen. The Jen. former Mrs. Ben Affleck has been my celebrity crush for like 20 years. But I think it's time for me to admit to myself, I have a fourth. Oh, and no. that is Lily James. <laughs> not only one of the most remarkably talented actresses in the world, but a, you know, globe stopping beauty uh, on top of all that just and i've loved her and even in that you know that little movie um yesterday 
the oh. one that they got sued because of the trailers and all that kind of stuff, or Baby Driver, or like, let alone Cinderella. Like, I think she's fantastic. I love her. And so when I saw her pop up in this as well, I got really excited about it. Rob, you had a chance to see the Iron Claw uh, trailer. What do you think about it? Well, dude, I'm I have a celebrity crush on Zac Efron. <laughs> I mean, I'll just say that I, I, uh, I'd love to look like that dude. I've always loved Zach Efron. There was some movie and I don't even, I never remember the name of this movie where he liked suffering from grief or something. He walked across America. Oh, oh, I, I, I don't know what this, I've never seen the opening of this movie. I've seen like this movie, like four times on cable. Like I'll turn <laughs> it on somewhere. I've never seen it streaming. It was always like playing on HBO or something. I don't know what it's called. Cause I've never seen the trailers, but he walks across America and falls in love with somebody. And I always watch like 20 minutes of it. Cause I always have to go somewhere. And the, I love him in this movie. <laughs> I've only seen a snippet, but I think Zach Efron, again, a gifted comedic performer, a gifted dramatic performer. The guy is uh, in this trailer, I mean, he's always had a great body. And I say this as a straight man admiring him, but I still can have a crush. I have a man crush. He looks ripped. You said jacked. The word stupid. He, he looks, looks incredible in this movie. Ridiculous. And it, it's like the, the, and I can't even imagine what it takes to the, the workout regimen he has to follow and what he can and can't eat. But I, I think he's great. And I think he's never... He's never been given, other than, you know, the romantic films he's done that appeal mostly to the female audience, he's never been given a breakthrough A-list role to show what he can do. But this looks something like, I'm not saying he's going to be like Mickey Rourke doing a wrestling movie, but it looks pretty good. Yeah. And I, I'm like, I'm in. Oh, the oh the name of the uh, movie you're talking about is Greatest Beer Run Ever. Oh God, no! <laughs> that is not the film well, that I, I was thinking that of. That would not be That's the one it? that we are. That would not be it. Out. Oh no! Ooh. I'll keep looking. Here you go, Rob. Oh. There's for your man crush. I mean, I mean that's not quite my favorite Zac Efron look, but my but see, God, what a beast! Like, yeah, what a beast! He was already huge, but here he's like, he's like big. Like well, he had to look plain. wrestling big. Repped. Yeah, he, he had to look like the Von Erich. Yeah, he got like a lot of weight on him. He can't look like Baywatch, Zach Efron. No, not that that trim, streamlined, almost comic book character. Yeah, what I've what I've wanted to look like my whole life. Yeah, which, which, which I often do. Yeah, I, I often do. He's more like that Lou Ferrigno thing. Yeah, Ray. I mean, you've you've been into wrestling a lot at different points in your life. What what did you think about the trailer? For you know, the reason I'm interested in this film is because I believe before the Ultimate Warrior, there was a Kerry Von Erich, the mm. Texas Tornado. Yeah. Man, I love, he was like my favorite superstar other than the Ultimate Warrior. Um, I'm interested in this, but everyone knows, who knows the Von Erichs? They, they know the story, the ending of their story. Yeah, so much tragedy. Yeah, so much tragedy. It, it might be a hard watch, but, but it looks like it just goes over like most of like their beginnings and how they got into wrestling, Yeah, which is. Uh, and it looks like a very complicated relationship with their dad. Oh yeah, yeah, Fritz von Erich. Yeah, he, he he seemed like one of uh, like us. There's there's Stu Hart. You know how hard yep. Stu Hart yep. was on his kids. You know that it's a pack of brothers. I just I'm just here for the brother thing. I don't have brothers, but I love movies that have that that bond. Whether it's problems or whether it's like that unit together, like you know that movie Four Brothers. Oh yeah, <laughs> I love that movie. So I just want to see that part of it. I, I may not make it to the end the sad parts but 
And by the I, way, I'm down for this. we've been talking about Zac Efron. I've been really looking forward to see Jeremy White be given a platform to really show off, you know, following mm -hmm. on all the great work we've got to see him do in The Bear Such and stuff like that too. too. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to this, shall we? A lot of work has been done on Daredevil, the new Disney Plus series, Daredevil Born Again. That uh, was well into production. <laughs> Uh, by the time the writer's strike hit, and of course the actor's strike, and yep, just waiting for those strikes then to get back to work. Oh, wait. Apparently, according to reports now coming out of Variety and all the major trades, Marvel has made the decision to scrap it and go back to the drawing board, as it were. Uh, this comes to us from Variety, who writes this. Fewer than half of the series, Daredevil Born Again's 18 episodes had been shot. That's still a lot of work that's been done. That's like six hours of programming uh, had been shot, but it was enough for Marvel executives, including Chief Kevin Feige, to review the footage and come away with a clear-eyed assessment. The show wasn't working. So, in late September, Marvel quietly let go of head writers Chris Ord and Matt Corman and also released the directors for the remainder of the season as part of a significant creative reboot of the series. The Hollywood Reporter has learned, the studio is now on the hunt for new writers and directors for the project. So, all those screenshots we saw, those set picks, casting announcements that get, just got made, Although I'm not sure that they're going to change any of the casting. But all that, gone. Out the window. Goodbye. <laughs> and, you know, there, there was something mentioned in the, the Variety Report of this. I mean, this originally came from the Hollywood Reporter. But in the Variety Report, there's something else that they mentioned that I think gets to the heart of a deeper issue. And Rob and I were talking about this just a little bit before the show started. You know, Variety points out that Disney Plus has tried to do television, but in a very non-television way. And one of the things that they've done to their demise that has not been very television way is that they, they've not had a leadership structure in place that is traditional television. Like a show has head writers and a showrunner and those people oversee the direction of a show. Their shows don't have showrunners. The executives decide what they're going to do. Now, that has resulted in a couple of great things. WandaVision was fantastic. I love Ms. Marvel. And or they kind of did give Tony Gilroy the show. They did give him the showrunner responsibilities. But, but a lot of these other stuff, they don't have traditional showrunners. It's the executives kind of making decisions from an ivory tower, which I've always believed in studio involvement. But you got to have creatives that are at the head of the show and are dictating where it goes, you know, in teamwork and, and in tandem with the studio and all that kind of stuff. Yes. But I think that's the reason why we end up with some of the garbage that we've ended up with. And, and I can't help but wonder if this whole idea that, look, our Marvel movies have worked great for the most part. Let's just make the shows the way we make movies and Disney is starting to figure, figure out and realize that doesn't work. Movies are movies. TV shows are TV shows. They've been made differently for 100 years for a reason. And I think they're starting to clue on that now. And, and listen, I'll tell you what. While on the one hand, the one way of looking at this is, wow, this is a disaster. And financially it is. There's a lot of work that's just been thrown out. Now, the Variety Report also goes on to say they might keep some of the scenes that they've already shot if they can fit into the new story. 
that's fine. Maybe they can recoup or salvage some of it. But this is going to equal big financial losses because that's going to make the, the budget of this project now balloon like crazy. Oh. And maybe they'll learn something from it. But, but if there is a silver lining in this, and I don't know if there is, but if there's a silver lining in this, it could be this. I would rather hear that Kevin Feige has decided what's being put together here is not good enough and we are pulling the plug. I would rather have that happen than a year and a half from now sit down to watch Daredevil with all kinds of excitement and get another secret invasion. I would rather find out Kevin Feige said this isn't good enough and pull the plug than 18 months from now sit down and watch another She-Hulk. And maybe this is going to be part of an awakening for the folks over there at Marvel and Disney that, huh, maybe the century-old practice of having a showrunner, half a century-old practice of having a show or somebody who's in charge of being, you know, the, being the creative shepherd of a particular show, yes, take notes from the studio, take direction about what the overall thing's got to be, but giving those people that and have it be creative-driven like their movies have been in the past, Hey, maybe that's the right way to do it after all. And maybe we can see a shift in that. Anyway, Rob, we woke up this morning finding out all that work that's been done on Daredevil, gone. And by the way, I'm going to throw this out here, and I don't know what you think about this. I think there's a chance this never gets back on the rails. I, I, I'm not saying that definitively, but I think there is a possibility this never gets going again. I, again, more than likely, they've put a lot of money into it already. Maybe they'll want to continue it regardless. But anyway, you read the report. <laughs> what's your assessment of this car wreck? Well, uh, I think that what's going on in a lot of television shows, a lot of genre television shows especially, is there's a lot of underqualified people in positions of power that they just don't know their jobs well enough. Not because they're dumb people. They just haven't had the experience. And... I find it fascinating because it's happening over and over again in these sort of legacy genre genre shows because they feel that because these are well-established brands that maybe there's a chance that they can try new writers or they can try new directors or these kinds of things, which is admirable. The problem is when you're dealing with the stakes being as high as they are, and especially with Daredevil, you have three seasons of an excellent Netflix series that already established with the same cast. You know, you're well, same, some of the same. The, yeah, but your lead, your lead <laughs> actor. Leads, so yeah. it's essentially you already have three seasons to live up to, rightly or wrongly. They can call it born again. You can recast. They decided they made the decision to keep Vincent D'Onofrio and Charlie Cox in these roles. So you have three seasons. If you're not going to live up to those three seasons that people can watch, uh, it, it's a fool's errand. And I think to call it born again, which is an incredibly well-known storyline from Marvel Comics, and the fact that they were doing 18 episodes and it was going to be serialized, the fact that they're in this position, to me, shows a large level of incompetence at whatever level. Because you need to have those scripts as rock solid before you start. Now, normally, John, television, they are writing as they go. But in the streaming era... I would assume because they're shooting all these and people, they're going to come out weekly and they're going to be bingeable or sometimes that they're not writing as they go because the way they're planning these shows, they should have these scripts rock solid before one, before anything is digitally captured 
through a camera. And if they're not, this is a level of incompetence that I think is inexcusable. And when you see something like this happen, I think you it, it shows that the people that are running, I'm not saying it's Kevin Feige because he's running everything. He's, he's not a TV showrunner. This shouldn't happen. On these streaming shows, we have plenty of examples of shows that are pretty great. You know, streaming shows that can be binged, whether it's what we're seeing from Gen V, what we're seeing. When you look at Gen V, I'm like, there's a superhero show that has very tight. I'm surprised at how good it is. The script, the scripts are from four episodes in. They knew what they were doing. And on a show like this, you already had a binge. Remember, they made seasons one, two and three of Daredevil. They all came out at once. You could sit there and watch them, and they were, for the most part, really strong and really great, which meant they had to have those scripts written when they went in to shoot. That's how you amortize costs. This is incredible to me, and it shows a level of incompetence in 2023 that should not exist. And its I think it really shows that there is a lot of disarray at Disney on a number of different levels. And I, you know, it's not like we're hearing great things about Echo, and we've got all these other shows that are being made. What's going on over there? And I don't know. That's the thing. I love the MCU, John. I love it. I go back and I watch the first 23 movies of the Infinity Saga, and I love them. Even the movies that aren't so good. Captain Marvel is a lot more entertaining than people make it out to be. Ah, that movie sucked. It does not suck. No, it does not. It does not suck. And I enjoyed I enjoy Thor The Dark World. Iron Man 2 Wait. has grown in stature. <laughs> has grown in stature. And, and now I'm looking at what's happened from, and it's not me ripping on Marvel, but I'm wondering what has happened. And to see something like Daredevil where you had three seasons, they're not perfect, but they're pretty damn good. And all three seasons are pretty damn good. And season three rocked. How can 18 episodes, when you already have three seasons, turn out to be a, a CF, a cluster, you know? How does I mean, that occur? I, I think there's a couple of things. Number one, I, I think people, look, uh, writing something that is good is a monumental task. Yes. I mean, it is a monumental task. Like, a lot of people act like writing something that's globally great is easy, um, which obviously it's not. But I can't help but wonder, Rob, Look, for the first time in Kevin Feige's career, he has experienced the last couple of years some adversity, right? Because for a decade or more, and we love Kevin Feige around here. I'm a huge, our Lord and Savior. I love Kevin. <laughs> but for over a decade, every day that Kevin Feige woke up and opened his phone or looked on his laptop or turned on the TV, everybody's talking about their Lord and Savior, Kevin Feige, that Kevin Feige can do no wrong. We were on Heroes in that, 2015. Yeah, I mean, I, and I love, and he, look, no other producer is ever going to produce the number of billion dollar films that he has, ever. It's never going to happen. He has his, never his own hot history. toy, John. He has his own his hot own, toy. There's one Kevin Feige hot toy in the world and he has it. But I wonder, I wonder if it wasn't for the fact that the last two years, he's having to now open up his phone and open up his laptop and turn on his TV and hearing his work as, as the head of the studio being criticized, being disliked. And I wonder if this Daredevil series that they've already started working on was, say, happening three years ago. If Kevin Feige wouldn't have just looked at it and go, okay, this isn't our best work, but just keep going. I wonder if the the car wrecks of She-Hulk and 
the the mediocrity of a lot of the other Disney stuff, uh, Marvel stuff that has come out lately. I wonder if the hits that Kevin Feige has taken the last couple of years, which he has never had to take in his career before, I wonder if that has helped bring him to the point that he's looking at this and saying, you know what, guys, now that Big Papa Iger is back and he's giving me my authority back that Bob Chapek took away from me, I'm calling it. This is not good enough. We've got to get the reputation of the quality of Marvel back on track. And you know what? It reminds me a little bit of the Batgirl situation, Rob, where it's like, hey, we're only going to make our whole product look worse if we put this out. This thing is not good enough. We need to pull the plug on it. And I wonder if some of the struggles of the MCU recently have helped Kevin Feige make that decision. Uh, you know, I would like to hope and think that you're absolutely correct in that assessment because, you know, the the all of these things are are corporately held and corporations and the executives of corporations. It's they don't know how to tell stories, nor should they. And yet they're put in positions, like you said, executives are overseeing this and they really don't know. It's not their job to make stories. They're Ivy League educated business people. They have not studied filmmaking. They don't know how to write and they shouldn't be making those kinds of decisions. And they're trying to hire new young talent that, again, they got rid of the entire writing staff and the directors. Yep. And the thing is, so for what people don't understand, on TV, directors, uh, TV is a writer's medium. Yeah, movies are a director's Film medium. Is a dire they're a director's TV is medium. a writer's medium. Directors are not allowed to be auteurs on TV. It's really up to the writing staff. But so that means that directors usually aren't necessarily to blame but for, for them to get rid of the directors that says something so it's a combination and i understand they're they're trying to hire new younger people uh people that might not have had the opportunities that they could have had before and it's not working it's not working across the board and they end up losing a lot of money television is a medium that requires great writers great directors and crews that really know their stuff and it it's not a, a training runner at the helm it needs a, a visionary showrunner at the helm to oversee and lead the creative direction of the shows. And, and that's just something Disney hasn't had. And these are the most expensive collectively television shows ever made. I mean, in terms of a group of shows. In, yeah, in terms of a group of shows. Yeah, yes. they're making, they're spending so much money on these Disney Plus shows. So they have every resource in the world, which, which, which even more so why you need very experienced people to know how to employ these resources. All right, guys, with that down, we're now going to go over and start hearing from you guys. I'm sure some of you have some thoughts or opinions on the things we just talked about. So we're going to hear from our YouTube channel members who we asked earlier in the day to send in some topics to us. And those of you who are watching live have been sending in some super chats. We're going to get to those in just a second. But before we do, we want to think of, take a moment and thank another sponsor of our show today, my mobile service provider, and they absolutely should be yours. If you're not, you're just throwing money away every month. Mint Mobile. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Mint Mobile. Signing your life away to a big wireless provider is kind of like being trapped on a roller coaster from hell. Sure, it looks like fun at first. They probably even threw in a free phone, but now you can't get off. Month after month of insane bills and unexpected thrills, like overages and surprise fees. If that sounds like your current big wireless plan, it's time to get off the ride with Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are just $15 a month. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for just 15 bucks a month. You guys know before 
before I came to Mint Mobile, I was paying triple what I am paying now on the standard big wireless plan, and I will never go back. All plans come with unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get your new unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped right to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash campia. That's mintmobile.com slash campia. Cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia. And thank you to our friends at Mint Mobile for being the main sponsor of the John Campia YouTube channel. All right, guys, with that all down, let's get over and start taking your questions here, shall we? We're going to start off with the Super Chats. So, Jonathan, what do we got up first? Super Chats. I got to get me up here first, but I'll uh, I'll fix uh, Rob in a second. <laughs> uh, so, Matt says, have you guys seen Ozark on Netflix? Just finished season three. This show is insane balls. What's your favorite season of the show <laughs> and your favorite characters? I love Ruth and Marty. Rob, I know this Dude, is a show you love. I uh, Ruth, Ruth, Ruth is probably one of the great breakout TV characters of the last decade. Uh, Ozark was incredible. I love the ending. I was like, whoa, uh, it's great. I mean, uh, they, you know, I was bummed out that season four was split into two. You know, they extended it out. It was great. So I love the season. I've loved all seasons of this show. Um, but it, it went there. You know, it was not afraid. It was a brutal show and a lot of people compared it to breaking bad i think it was a different show than breaking mm -hmm. bad was because whereas breaking bad walter white kind of wasn't telling his wife what he was doing ozark was about a husband and wife very much knowing what each other was doing and being complicit to even a point when they went at one another they were at war with one another kind of it's an amazing show john you know what i didn't know until recently so you weren't here that day but um suits just set the all-time record for most weeks, a streaming show with the most weeks at number one with 12 weeks in a row, it's been the number one streaming show in the world. Insane for a show that went off the air four or five years ago. The previous record holder was Ozark, was number one in the streaming world for 11 weeks in a row. I never knew that until wow. the uh, Suits record came up. Well, it's fun, funny because I don't think a lot of people, you know, it was one of those things that built momentum as, as people, more right. and more people watched it. And I think we're going to see more and more of that happening when older shows have another, a new life because people didn't catch up with them and now they will because there's so much to watch. You know, I think, I think Sex Education on Netflix is a terrific show that I think a lot of people haven't watched, but I think it might be, it'll eventually maybe we'll find an audience and see those levels rise up, but yeah. All right. What's next? Raymond Verrata writes, uh, Star Trek Prodigy is now on Netflix. You know, it's I, I, I did not hear that, but that's not unprecedented. Uh, going back to Star Trek Discovery, when it first came out, uh, Paramount was also licensing out the show in other territories on things like Netflix and what whatnot. I, if they're doing it on terrestrial, like in, in domestic Netflix, that's that's a new move. Like, look, I'm going to admit, I've never seen a single episode of Star Trek Prodigy. But uh, you said it's not bad? I'll tell you, of all the modern Star Trek shows, I think I was pretty much adamantly opposed to Prodigy. But the more I watched it and it went along, I'm like, this is probably the best of the modern Star Trek shows. And I'll tell you what's really smart about this is if this were to catch on on Netflix and become a hit, because they, they did commission a second season, but it got canceled. It's been canceled. Right. If this becomes a hit on Netflix, then Paramount, you know, proves that, well, maybe we can 
go back and produce more Star Trek, not for our own network, but for something like Netflix. And if this catches on and it finds a family audience or whatever, we could see the first Star Trek show canceled could have a resurrection. But you know what? Here's a thing about that, too. That leads to another discussion we're going to have to have here in the coming days and weeks about how there's going to be, I think, a lot of streaming services that are out there right now that are going to disappear. Over the next two years, we're going to see a lot of mergers. And I think we're ultimately going to be left with three, maybe four real streamers that are are, are going to be a little something for everybody in all of the streaming services. And I think you could see, because that's what, that's what Sony's doing right now, right? Sony's just producing content and letting the highest bidders take their content. And maybe that's something that Paramount And if does. you were to say, if that's true, I think that there's a good possibility that the first one of these that we'll see happen is Paramount and Netflix will combine. It, it appears this story just dropped like two hours ago. Uh, Star Trek Prodigy finds new home at Netflix after Paramount Plus cancellation. And also it says season two in 2024. So season two is oh so they are going to do yeah. season two yeah because they already commissioned on Netflix it. now though it's oh but that that but it's been canceled after that yeah, yeah okay yeah. I got it a preemptive canceling if you well, will. yeah and it, it's such a weird it's such a weird thing the way that we've seen this these weird cancellations happen before but if if Netflix loves it you yeah, know. if it catches on kind of like Suits did maybe yep all right what's next. Okay, uh, Al or Al, do you think Adam Aaron will one day be fired from AMC? Similarly to Bob Chapek, seeing your rants are always a joy. I I don't know because, and I'm only saying this from my own personal perspective, my own personal point of view. Let me be clear about that. The entire leadership at AMC is a big clown car right now, and Adam Aaron is just the the ringleader. Um, <clears throat> I don't, I don't think he has anybody there that has any spine. Like, listen, when I was at AMC, we had a world-class CEO at, at AMC. We had a world-class, brilliant dude who was CEO at the time and a world-class leadership board around him. Uh, it's a bunch of clowns there now, as far as I can tell. But eh, so I don't know. I don't think they'll ever fire him because, again, he's, he's king clown in the kingdom of clowns. All right, what's next? All right, well, Raymond, it says it's Tuesday. It's actually Wednesday. No Star Wars, no Marvel to watch. Yeah, it is. It is a little weird. I thought it was interesting that we had, like, say, Ahsoka ending in the same week that we had um, Loki beginning. Look, all the their main shows have been Tuesday midnight, Wednesday morning show drops. That, that's been kind of the thing for the most part. And so to have Loki now come out at 6 p.m. on Thursdays is, is going to take a little getting used to. And unlike you losers, today is my game day because I got a new episode of Invasion and <laughs> The Swarm, baby. I love that you talk about Invasion and we're the losers. But okay. Uh, how is The Swarm? I thought you were going to say Bluey. I honestly thought no, you were no, going to say No, no, The Swarm. Bluey. Because on CW... About the whales going I don't have crazy. CW, but... The next day, they put it on the app. So, yes, I do have the CW I read the app. book. You oh, did? so it's not on any of the major streamers? The Swarm is only on CW? Yeah, CW. But it, it feels... I I really think it was like a show that was released overseas, and they broke it up, and then it's, are releasing it here. Yeah, it was overseas. It's based on a German novel. Yeah. All right, what's next? Uh, we got Corey M. who says, Sasha Baron... Uh, Cohen might By the way, Corey sent in like oh, a $20 yeah. super chat. Thank you, Corey. Yeah, thank you. Uh, maybe playing Mephisto because the theme of Ironheart is magic versus technology. Uh, another Anthony Ramos character, The Hood, gets a magical hood from Dormammu. In the comics, they could be just using Mephisto instead. Yeah, though, so Chris Chris mentioned that the other day, right? That, yeah, you had Dormammu in, in, the, Dormammu? in the comics, but... <laughs> 
Uh, obviously, that's not going to happen here. So maybe Mephisto becomes the entry point for that. Again, I and I understand the whole science versus magic and, and all that. I, I still feel that Ironheart is a very odd place to bring Mephisto. Mephisto versus Doctor Doom, I can see it. Mephisto in a WandaVision, I can see it. Mephisto in a Doctor Strange, I can see it. It just This one just seems weird. Because in all honesty, if you have a Mephisto who's anything like the real Mephisto, the real Mephisto, like the comic Mephisto, <laughs> what the hell is Riri Williams going to do against a Mephisto? What the hell would a Spider-Man for that thing do against a Mephisto? I mean, it seems, it seems odd, but it is like, listen, Rob, if anybody looks like they're perfect to play Mephisto, it could be Sasha Baron Cohen. Well, it's, it's very kind of Power Rangers or like my favorite Inframan movie from the Shaw brothers, uh, having somebody in a powered suit, like a superhero fighting monsters, whether they're mystical or creatures from under the earth. It, there's a long history of that. So yeah. Someone said, let's do Ultraman. Okay. All right. What's next? Ron H. says, in my time of membership, I have seen ketchup on eggs, heard of pickled <laughs> foot, enjoyed some BBC. What strange mysteries and encounters are yet to be had on the seas of the John Campion show? <laughs> Who's to say? Yeah, yeah it's, every day is a surprise. You never know what's going to happen ever. You know, I actually had somebody send me this design. I got to see if I can dig it up. One of the, my favorite designs. And over the years, we've had a lot of really creative viewers who, when I've said some random thing would send me a picture. As a matter of fact, like this thing on my desk here, let me see if I can pick him up without taking his head off. This is one of my favorite things that uh, a viewer has ever sent me. You can go to my one shot there, Jonathan. Um, like just sent me, they literally made this model of me in a Jedi robe with, with my, with my rebel hat and a bring on the filthy shirt and uh Felipe, the sentient dancing microphone on it. I, I get a lot of really cool things that, that people send to me. But one of the coolest things, I don't know if you guys remember the foot of Feige. He said, behold, the foot of Feige. And everybody, everybody works with the foot. Somebody sent me a poster that they made. And I got to see if I can now dig it up at some point. That is like one of my favorite things ever. But yes, I, I often say very random nonsense. And it's always amazing to me some of the creative stuff that our viewers will then take with that creative nonsense. All right, what's next? Corey M. writes, according to the Variety's article about Aquaman, none of the Justice League actors are reprising their roles in the DCU. This is a great decision. Yeah, but I think it's one we've already known for a long time. Yeah. Like, we knew that Ben wasn't coming back. We knew that Henry wasn't coming back. Uh, we knew Ezra. <laughs> we've been telling you for years that Ezra's not coming back. Um, there, Gal Gadot made some confusion out there that maybe she was coming back, but Warner Brothers quickly shut that down. Yeah, no, look, Rob, we, we talked yesterday about the report that, come, that came out that uh, Jason Momoa is, is in talks to play Lobo. And I said this, you know, somebody would ask, well, isn't that going to cause some confusion with the audience? Here's what I said. I want to know what you think about this. My perspective of it is this, is I don't think there is a more strong or definitive statement that Warner Brothers can make to the audience of this is something totally new than having Jason Momoa playing a completely different character. Like that to me becomes like a visual cue to everybody that, oh yeah, this is not the same DCEU that it was before. All the Justice League is gone. All that stuff is gone. And hey, look, Jason Momoa is here, but he's a completely different character. I, to me, that visually says to the audience, this is new. 
Do you think it can reduce confusion, which I think it will, or could it cause confusion? What do you think? No, I think it, people know, I mean, there's so much out there that Aquaman to the Lost Kingdom is the end of this era of the DC universe and that James Gunn, Superman, and I'll, I'll tell you what's really going to do it. I think the style of James Gunn, Superman is going to be so different from what we've seen of the DCU that it's going to be a visual demarcation more than anything else. I, I mean, yeah. I, I keep thinking, I, I went back because the absolute version of a Superman, Superman of all seasons was released. And they talk about All-Star Superman, but I, I really do think a Superman for all seasons, that graphic novels, the tone of it is a lot where James Gunn's going. Now, I don't know that for a fact, I would assume. And it has such a unique feel to it, such a classical feel, such an Americana feel, such an epic, uh, mythical feel to it that I think that's what James Gunn's going for. It's a combination of myth and kind of like what Richard Donner did, but a, a modern take on it. So I think we're going to be very aware that the new DC universe is a very different animal than what we've been getting for the last 10 years. I agree. All right, what's next? Aspar Loki Runarsson, I probably hatcheted that up, is Daredevil's cancellation like the Batgirl thing? It certainly feels like it. And, and, and just as I applauded the decision of Warner Brothers to kill the Batgirl movie, if it was indeed as bad as everything I heard from the people I know and the official reports that you guys read too, if it was really that bad, then it was 100%. I don't care what anybody ever tells you. It was 100% the right decision to kill that movie. I don't care if it was shot or not. For the same reasons... If the Variety Report and the Hollywood Reporter report is right, and that Kevin Feige was just looking at this thing and says, this is not working, then I don't care how hard other people have worked on it. I don't care how far along you are. I don't care how much money you've spent. If it's really not working, and the MCU is in the most fragile, I'm not saying the MCU is in a completely fragile state, but I'm saying I think you'll all agree that it is in a more fragile state right now than it's ever been in then the right decision is to pull the plug, go back to the drawing board and start over. It's an expensive decision. It's a costly decision. But I think it's the right one. So well, we'll see. All right, what's next? Corey M. writes, uh, this news about Marvel Studios' overhaul of their TV production sounds so promising, especially if we get rid of the 630 to 45-minute episode seasons. Uh, listen, I'll tell you what, I 100% agree with that because, Rob, when you, really, when you look at it, the fact that they have used a filmmaking mentality in trying to make TV shows, they've not had showrunners, I think that is one of the contributing factors, the fact that we get these very unsatisfying, on the surface, very unsatisfying six episodes averaging about 37 minutes each. I hope that if they start treating a television show like a television show, bring in competent showrunners to actually, you know, showrun. We don't have to have 18 episodes. We don't have to have the traditional 22 episodes, but like 12 episodes, 10 to 12 episodes, 55 minutes, whatever. Give us the real meat. Otherwise, just make a movie because that's clearly been their mentality. So yeah, uh, look, I agree with that 100%. And, and we need, you know, it's funny, like even the X-Files had mythology episode, this ongoing arcs. When you would watch an episode of X-Files, even though they, you knew they were part of a bigger story, each episode felt relatively fulfilling. It was a meal. Very many of these Marvel shows feel like I'm getting half, you know as a viewer, you're getting half a story. You're getting, and it never feels like you've watched a satisfying episode of television. You know, like you can watch serialized shows like Battlestar Galactica. 
even though those were longer episodes and part of the, it was really an ongoing story. It always, you always felt fulfilled at the end of one of those. Episodes. Absolutely. Greatest show of all time, by the way, in my opinion. All right. What's next? Joey writes, hi, John and crew. Just wondering if you are going to the Swift concert film. Um, I actually don't think I am. I, listen, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what. This is a cultural movie event. So even though I'm not a Swifty, I am very interested in going to see it so we can be part of the, the conversation. But I think everything's sold out. So I, I unless Anne got us tickets that I'm not aware of, which Anne she does sometimes. Anne will come to the sometimes. rescue. What's that? Anne will come to the rescue. Pro it will probably be Anne getting the tickets. If so, then yes. But right now I don't have tickets or plans to at the moment. But I would like to see just to see how it all turns out. All right, what's next? Uh, Nathan says, hi, John and Robert. Today is my birthday. Happy birthday, Happy birthday Nathan. Nathan. You have a wonderful day and a fantastic year ahead of you, my friend. We're glad you're joining us on your birthday. Thanks and for being here, man. Make someone buy you a hot toy. <laughs> All right, what's next? Yeah, boy, 22 writes, I'm glad that Marvel has heard our critiques and are planning on focusing on quality. Let's hope this is one step for Marvel getting back on track. It is. Remember when Bob Chapek got fired? I told oh, you guys. Yes. The way this works is we are still going to feel the repercussions of Chapek's leadership for the next two years. That's that's the way it works. We never really felt the impact of Bob Iger leaving for a good year and a half, two years. And then we started to feel the stuff. And then now that Chapek is gone, we're still feeling the aftermath and the repercussions. Again, it's not been long ago that Kevin Feige was finally given his authority back. So we'll see where things go from here. We'll see. But fingers crossed, this will be the first step in a long rehabilitation. All right, what's next? Corey M. writes, uh, looks like a two-parter. So THR reported that Marvel Studios is revamping their approach to TV uh, production. They're now focusing on getting showrunners that write pilots and show Bibles. Go figure. Uh, they're also moving towards multi-season serialized TV. Good they're realizing they need to produce their TV shows like actual TV shows. Okay, but, but I, I think one point of correction there. Now, maybe I have to go back because I only read the article quickly. Maybe I have to go back. I don't think the Hollywood Reporter was saying that is what they're doing so much as it was suggesting that this is what they need to look at doing now. Um, now, again, and maybe you're right. Maybe I need to go back and read it through a little bit more closely. My one quick read before, as we were getting the show together for today, I think the way it came across to me is that that's what they're saying is they're going to maybe that's what they need to do now. And hopefully that that's what they're thinking about doing. I don't know if it said that this is what they're doing now, but if it is... It's about time. It's what they need to do. All right. What's next? Oh, come on. Scroll down. Lost it. Here we go. Uh, Tommy writes, uh, can't they get the writers from the Netflix show to come back at this point? Nope. They have no interest. Look, I keep trying to tell you guys, this isn't Daredevil season four. This is a new show. It's a new show. It's not the same Daredevil. Um, it's got to fit within the MCU too. And I also believe pursuant to what the old showrunner said, yes. uh, who I'm a big fan of the showrunner of season one. He, he was also the showrunner of one of my top three all-time favorite shows, Spartacus. Um, that if you bring back those writers, you got to pay them like it's a season four and they get, they get a lot more money. So, But I think it's more of the, to the point of this isn't the same show that they wrote. So there's no point in bringing those writers back. So that's probably the way they're looking at it. All right, what's next? Andy writes, if Swift and Kelsey break up, that would be a travesty. Oh. You know, 
That's actually not bad. bad. I got to give it up for Ooh, that. Ooh, that could be the name of the song. Travesty. Travesty. There it is. <laughs> that will be the name of her breakup song, Travesty. By the way, side note, speaking of Travis Kelsey, his brother, Jason Kelsey, who is a, a, a Hall of Fame, future Hall of Famer in the NFL, one of the most respected men in the history of the NFL, and he's also Travis's co-host on their number one podcast in the world, New Heights. Uh, Jason had a documentary about him pop on Amazon uh, two weeks ago. I think it came out. It's wonderful, by the way. If you want to know why I love sports so much, watch the Kelsey documentary. But I don't know if you heard this. Uh, Amazon just reported it is now the all-time number one most viewed documentary worldwide ever on the Amazon platform. And this is a platform that's had a lot of stuff. Uh, Not number one all-time, period, but the number one all-time ever on the Amazon platform, number one most viewed documentary ever. So, and I highly recommend it. You don't even have to be a sports fan to watch this documentary. It's moving. It's funny. It'll make you feel. It's wonderful. You should check it out. Power of Swift compels you, even if it's one step removed. <laughs> Power of Swift compels you. Power of Swift compels you. All right, what's next? It's a travesty. Um, Chubbs writes, any of you guys played uh, Diablo? I think it would uh, translate well to a movie or series. I remember playing it as a kid and the lore scared me. And I, it just came out four, I right? I played a lot of Diablo one, not a lot of two. I played a lot of three. I bought four and I got going on, but I got tired of it really fast. I honestly don't think the story of Diablo lends itself well to a movie. I think the story of Diablo is good in the world of Diablo. I don't know that it translates well to a movie, to be honest with you. I mean, have you ever played a lot of Diablo? I played Diablo back in the day. Yeah. I mean, what was that, 25 years ago? <laughs> Something <Yeah>. like that? <laughs> Yeah, that's so, that, yeah, forget it. It's been a long time. <laughs> that's since what that I was playing like out. Sim Earth. All right. Oh, yeah. What's next? Uh, Andy writes It's surreal watching Marvel Studios pull moves that we usually attribute to DC films, while DC right now may have its controversies, but is better positioned. Well, it's at the beginning, so yeah, I mean, possible. Yeah, look, the, the one big thing that DC has in its favor right now, if you're going to com- contrast and compare them to Marvel, is that they literally get to start with a completely blank page right now. Yeah. They, there's there's no past history. There's no old canon. There's They're not handcuffed to anything. They literally have a pure, crisp, as the white driven snow on Christmas morning, white blank page that they can just start from. That is a huge advantage. Marvel, on the other hand, right now, has some damage control to do. And they've got to try to turn the ship around while not having the same amount of freedom that DC has because they still have to stay consistent with canon and with their history and what characters they have and blah, blah, blah. And you know what, John? Looking at shows like The Boys and Gen V, it shows that superhero programming, when it's well-written, well-executed, is just as relevant. It's not tired. People ask about superhero fatigue. When I watch Gen V, I'm like, this is a, this seems fresh, new, different, exciting. It's all about the writing and execution. Listen, I, I feel weird saying it, but it, I think it's true. The best superhero programming on television is neither DC or Marvel. Right. It's it just, just not. All right. What's next? Okay. We got King Daddy Go who writes, hey, guys, are you all excited for Daredevil Born Again and again and again <laughs> and again? Do you think it's a good sign they are changing things around or do you take it as a disaster? I take it that it was a disaster and therefore they needed to change things around. Uh, I mean, listen, Kevin Feige, they didn't, if Kevin Feige looked at that and said, man, this is great, but let's scrap it. No, that's not what happened. Kevin Feige looked at it and said, this isn't very good. 
And now that Papa Iger's back, I have authority again that I can pull the plug on this and I'm pulling the plug. And I, I think, look, while it is a disaster, make no mistake, it's still a disaster. They made the best decision possible given this disastrous set of circumstances, I think. I think that's the best way to put it. All right, what's next? Okay, we got... By the way, oh, we have now moved on to our YouTube yeah. channel members. Uh, so thank you guys. Norell writes, Happy Wednesday, Campy Crew. Have you guys seen the Iron Claw trailer yet? If so, what are your thoughts? Yes, I would recommend going back and watch. We talked about it a little bit earlier on the show. Thought it was fantastic. I think it looks great. All right, what's next? Uh, we got CJ Rebirth. He writes, Even though I had a lot of fun watching Rise of the Beast, the first Transformers movie with Shia is uh, still at number one for me. And I couldn't help but go for why when uh, Mirage became an Iron Man suit. <laughs> yeah, that was a little... Listen, I liked Rise of the Beast. I think it is the second best Transformers movie. I still think... And I liked the first Michael Bay Transformers movie, by yeah. the way. I, I like that movie. But I think the best Transformers movie is still Bumblebee. I think everything in the art of filmmaking, better story, better characters, better, like, I I just think that is the best Transformers movie ever. And you know what? Maybe Rise of the Beast is the third best Transformers. I might might put Transformers 1 ahead of it, but I put Bumblebee ahead of the first Transformers. How, how would you rank it, Rob? I probably would too. I mean, my problem, I really like the first Transformers movie, but the battle at the end is kind of incoherent. You know, it loses, it loses me. I get it, but it's I, I like the movie a lot. But Bumblebee felt, you know, what Travis Knight did with that movie, I thought was great. It had real heart to it, and I really enjoyed it. Although I got to say, I mean, I, I know that a lot of people, it's unpopular to say this, but Transformers 3, Dark of the Moon, Come on. Bring it on. I could watch that all the time. The Battle of You're Chicago is amazing. They go to the moon. Come on. Yeah, I, yeah, the moon. Uh, I love Transformers. <laughs> Dark of the Moon. Love it. All right. What's next? Lori Howard asks, hello, my film-loving friends. Have any of you begun your list for best or not so much in film streaming and games for the year? I started my games list. No, I, I usually don't do that until we literally get into December. As far as games, that's easy. It's Baldur's Gate. Yeah. I mean, it's... This this is honestly, and I've said it every day, but I'll say it again. It Right now, I need to play it much longer to definitively say it, but in my head, it is in the running for the greatest game ever made. I, I, I really wow. do think that. I think it is maybe the greatest game ever made. Uh, the level of depth, complexity, scope, um, the fact that there's no fucking DLC and microtransactions Yet. and battle passes and buy skins and any of that like it, economy of video game industry that is ruining video games. It's it, it really might be the best game ever made. Let's hope that lesson is applied moving forward. I really hope so. I really, really hope so. It's really put me off gaming. All right. What's next? Uh, Wesley writes, do you guys think any other headliners from the old DCU will be cast in other roles in the DCU? Uh, Affleck, Cavill, Robbie, or would they be too associated with their old roles without being hidden under makeup like Moa likely will be as Lobo? So I guess that, in different roles. Yeah, see, that's one of the advantages too with Momoa is that he is, while Lobo still kind of looks like Momoa, it is, he's going to look very different than he did as, yeah. as that. While I already said that I think it's actually a really good move to have Momoa come back because that makes a very strong statement that this is a different universe, I don't think you can overdo it. So, no, I don't think you bring Henry Cavill back. Uh, it means, no, I don't think you bring Ben Affleck back. And you know I love both those guys. What I could see happening, Rob, is sometime in the future that Henry Cavill pops up in one of the movies as a different character. But, like, say, I don't see Henry Cavill, like, all of a sudden playing, I, I, I don't know, uh, 
Guy, like, uh, who's, uh, I was about to say Guy Gardner. Jimmy maybe. Olsen. Well, well, yeah, you can't see him playing oh a Jimmy gosh, Olsen. Jimmy. Or no see him play uh, another Green Lantern. Yeah. Or like a Kyle Rayner or something like that. Like, but I, but him playing a role in one of the movies sometime, I could see that happening. What if he's hey, like, yeah, maybe. That'd be crazy. <laughs> yeah. Shave that head. All right, what's next? Uh, Sam, whoops, Sam Fisher writes, uh, I started watching Gen V. I'm loving it. Prediction with the way the series is going, I think one of the boys, Frenchie, MM, or Kimiko, not Hugh or Billy, will be in the f- finale to recruit the main student characters as double agents or C. I don't know, CIs, the CIs or something. Confidential informant. Ah, uh, it's an old cop show uh, thing. Um, why not Billy? Why not Huey? I, when does this take place? This takes in the world of the boys. Current. Yeah, okay. it's, it's current. current. Um, I, I completely could see it being well, but yes, I do think we will have them come out. And I, I think that there'll be a tie in a little bit. Like, look, we've already had a little bit, right? The deep has shown up already, like in the memorial video, which was really funny, by the way. Um, I could totally see one of the boys showing up. I really can. Uh, I'm not predicting it will, but I won't be surprised at all if they do. All right. What's next? Oh, we got uh, Ziejos who writes, uh, hey, John and crew, what movies do y'all watch to get back into life? Not specifically towards yourself, but any films anyone can watch to get back on life, to try again, or to better oneself. Thanks, y'all. Bring on the filthy. That, that's it's a very complicated and specific way to ask the question. Mm-hmm. But it's funny you put it that way because Jonathan and I were just talking about a movie before right. we started filming today. Um. It is the movie that made me create this saying, Rob. Great movies will change the way you see the world. Exceptional movies will change you. And that phrase is epitomized by the Mr. Rogers documentary, uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor? This, This is a movie that literally changed the way I looked at my own life. I... Mr. Rogers is a goddamn rock star. Like I, I, I knew a bunch of stuff. Like we all knew Mr. Rogers was a great man. We all knew that. And I remember watching that movie and there were several times watching this documentary that I had tears welling up in my eyes. And I remember saying to Jonathan, the movie does two things. Number one, it completely inspires you. Number two, makes you feel like a bag of shit because you think you're doing like good things in your life and then you see what Mr. Rogers is doing. Like, Oh, damn. You know what my favorite story in it is? My, one of my favorite stories in it, because Mr. Rogers, he was, he was an evangelical minister. And I remember the, thing, the, the story that rocked me most watching this documentary was there was this big controversy. It's a little before my time, but there was this big controversy going on around the world where there were a bunch of hotels that had no blacks allowed in their pools. And a bunch of black people in America were saying, well, that's nonsense and getting in the pools. And there was this big thing that became viral before there was YouTube of this motel owner where the, you know, black patrons wouldn't get out of the pool. So he came around and started pouring bleach in the pool to try to get people out, right? It was all over the news, all this kind of stuff. What did Mr. Rogers do? Mr. Rogers said, fuck y'all. He said that exactly on his show. No. <laughs> no, he didn't. And what he did <laughs> was he had a black character that was on his show. 
And when the black character showed up at his door, he's been a recurring character. Mr. Rogers invited him into the backyard and together they had a, one of those little play pools and together they sat. I'm, oh, Jonathan, you're quick. They sat down and they shared the pool together. So that was a reprise. This was the original. Was it? Oh yeah, that's the original. Then they, they recreated it later on. And Mr. Rogers said, we're going to show the world how real men act. This is how real men act. And he modeled it. And as you watch this documentary, it inspires and puts me to shame when I watched it. Great movies will change the way you see the world. Exceptional movies will change you. I think that movie changed me. Um, and uh, man, he took heat too. Mr. Rogers took heat for doing that. And in typical Mr. Rogers fashion, he's like, fuck you, I'm Mr. Rogers. Come at me. I mean, he didn't say it that way. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. But uh, that that is a movie to me. If you ever want to be inspired, not creatively, but you want to be inspired about life, watch that Mr. Rogers documentary because he's a bad ass. It, and fuck me. Like I, just to think that people like that can exist in this totally screwed up world is very inspiring to me. So I, I would highly, 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 highly recommend if you have not seen it, check it out. It's fantastic. All right, guys. And uh, that's all the time we have. We went a little bit extra long here today. Try to get through as many of the questions as we could. Thank you, by the way, to all of you guys watching live who sent in Super Chats and all of you who are our beloved channel members who sent in those topics. Because number one, you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved with the show, thank you guys so very much for your support. I want to thank the people in the studio with me, Ray Ora. See you later. Off to watch Invasion, I'm sure. Yeah. Over here, we got Jonathan Voico. See ya. Writer, director, producer, Robert Meyer Burnett. My name's John Campia, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. We'll see you again tomorrow. And until then, my friends, bye-bye. <laughs>